This is the beginning point. This is the beginning of the rest of my life. I got the meaning, and I got to write it down, because I don't want to forget it. Just win, baby. Just win, baby. And that's what somebody's going to do today as they win their spot in the SFB 12. When we give that away, we have narrowed it down to our two favorite stories. And we're going to spin a wheel between just two guys. They got a 50-50 shot end of the game. Stay tuned to find out who is going to the Scott Fishbowl 12 this year. But welcome back to the Gold Jacket Podcast. We're sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I tell you every week that Underdog has it all. The daily, the weekly, the season-long best ball tournaments. You know that. You know that it's happening 365 days a year. You know that you can play their prop games, their pick'ems. You know that if you get five right, you can win 20 times your money. You know all this because I tell you all the time. But if you forgot, head over to Underdog Fantasy. Use the promo code TNFF. You'll get a 100% deposit match and your first deposit up to $100. I'm your host, Gymnastic, and you can find me on Twitter at GoldJacketQBs, as I am joined always by the other host of this show, Connor Donald. You can find him absolutely everywhere, but if you're searching on Twitter, it's at Connor10. That's T-E-N, not the one and the zero. We are proud members of the True North Fantasy Football Network. Make sure to check out the entire network on Twitter at True North FFB. YouTube, if you're watching now, we gracefully thank you. T-N-F-F Network. And on the internet, truenorthffb.com, where we got everything over there. Today's the final week of the week four, or week four of the week dive into the winners and the losers. You know what that means? That means tight ends, baby. Everybody loves a good booty. Rookies, veterans, and we talk about who you should consider buying, who you should consider selling, and lots of strategy talk as this offseason continues. But first, what's happening, Connor? I'm excited to be giving a Scott Fishbowl uh, spot away. It's so awesome. You pitched the idea to Scott. You said, how about we get people to tell us their story about what they do in their community that they're super proud of. And we're going to narrow down. We're going to pick two. We're going to pick one person. We're going to give this spot away. And we are doing it tonight. I'm super pumped about that. And uh, I am slightly less pumped to talk about tight ends but of course it is still a position and it is still a position that we always love to mine the value out of so let's dive right on into it and we're gonna we're gonna start with not specific winner or loser i want to talk about the players that are we're gonna decide right now if they're a winner or loser and I'm going to start it with Irv Smith. Let's start with Irv. This is this is a gymnastic kind of guy. He loves him some Irv Smith. He's going as in underdog fantasy, oh, yeah. tight end 16, in round 12, pick 11 overall. My question here is what can we expect from Irv? The hype train was rolling last offseason before he tore his meniscus in the preseason. He ultimately missed the entire season. Once again, I see him hanging around the top 12, hanging around in a lot of tight end uh tiers a lot of uh tight end rankings right near the bottom of the 12 top 12 he was a tight end 33 in his first year tight end 22 in his second year and now ty conklin is out of the picture and there's almost no new competition almost nothing for new competition in that tight end room opportunity is knocking and the former second round pick notice the draft capital second round pick Dude's going to get opportunity to hope likely based solely off of that. But his QBR when targeted two years ago, second among tight ends. His fantasy points per target, second among tight ends. He was tied for second in red zone targets with 12. And more importantly, he was third inside the 10 and second inside the five. Those all important, all elusive end zone targets. So Jim... I know you're about to drop some praise on Irv Smith because if you can get him as the tight end 16, you can get him at the turn at round 12, round 13. It's not a bad spot. 
Yeah, that's absolutely sexy, Connor. I love that. Uh, tight end 16. We all know I'm a big fan of Irv Smith. You know I'm a big fan of guys that uh, have that Super Bowl or um, that NFL in their blood. So as we know, his dad playing the NFL. I'm already attentive to like that. He knows what it takes to play in the game. A lot of hype. Uh, unfortunate, you know, injury happening with with the uh, ACL. But what we did see was exactly what I wanted to see, which was him stepping up in the red zone prior to this, from his rookie season to sophomore season. Um, sorry about that. And uh, as you were alluding to, uh, tied tied for red zone red zone targets, which is absolutely huge. I didn't want him doing his damage in between. In between the twenties, and then somebody else ended up getting that again that juicy monster because he had, which was you know the red zone reindeer with Kyle Rudolph uh, for for a little bit there, and that that a little bit upset me because he can get that ball. He has a knack for the end zone, and I like seeing him get that opportunity. And that is what I think is going to be a defining winning point for him leapfrogging into that upper echelon of tight ends that, that you are sorry middle upper echelon of tight ends that you really want that tight end four through eight finish um <clears throat> and you're getting them at tight end 16 prices which is which is absolutely fantastic and as we all know there's always somebody that ends up jumping up into that six to or five to eight range five to nine range every year most of the time goes undrafted and you end up picking them up on the waivers week one or week two. And ends up riding the fantasy. Why can't it be Irv? This is a high productive offense. You got a top running back in there. You got a number one wide receiver in Justin Jefferson to take off some heat. You got an ample quarterback there with Kirk Cousins that knows what he's absolutely doing. Why can't it happen? I agree. And I think it's important to point out, while they did not target the tight end position very often, the only competition to Ty Conklin last year was Chris Herndon. Ty Conklin had 83 targets alone, 83 targets alone with Justin Jefferson there, with Adam Thielen there, with those couple of spikes, spike weeks from that little slot receiver there that everybody picked up on the waiver wire as soon as those games happened. 83 <laughs> targets, man. That is absurd for Ty Conklin. Irv Smith should see that and some. I see no reason why you shouldn't see that. And I see no reason exactly what you pointed out. I see no reason why he can't be a winner at the tight end position, why he can't jump to that five day range and be that guy who we talk about next year is he was that guy every year. We listed Dalton Schultz did it last year. The year prior, there was somebody else. The year prior, there was somebody else. The year prior, there was somebody else. Every I almost want to call it the, the, the Gary Barnage effect. I remember when he came it's out fair. of nowhere. It's fair, yep. Boof, out of nowhere. And like a flash and out. Um, why can't it, why can't it be Irv, though? I think Irv Smith, the thing is, he can get there and stay there. It's a very oh, volatile so. position. It's a tough position to stay there in. But that's the fun of it. That's, that's the whole point. You have probably four guys, five guys, you can argue, that are locked and loaded. And after that, Every single year, it's just this revolving door of players, and you just never know. So if you can get him at this really discounted price, maybe not even as your first tight end off the board, maybe oh, you can go not, and yeah, that's not maybe, your first. Maybe you can go and throw a third rounder next year, and somebody wants to give you Irv Smith. Like that's great. That's great value. I think you will more than get your value out of Irv Smith in that way. Yeah, I think I think he's a winner, but as um this is this is it like this is the make or break year i think for him if he doesn't perform Absolutely. this year um that's it for him and i hate to say it i love irv uh swerving irvin man uh big fan like i said but this is this he's is got to do it everything, he's everything's do out it. of his way everything's out of his way the, he the had he they, for him. they didn't even acquire anyone to really compete with them the, 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 if you go look at their depth chart i bet you don't even know who the tight ends are behind him that's how open it is for him but let's move on to another one i would consider this especially from a value perspective a loser oh very but there's gonna be so. a lot of people who argue it's a winner but the more and the more i dove into it I got to share some of these stats. I was mind blown at these stats. 
Mark yeah, Andrews. I was reading through these. I want to hear these. I want Mark to Andrews. Andrews truthers need to know and realize his tight end one finish was buoyed by Huntley. They need to. And if you haven't looked back, you need to look back. With Huntley under center, this is four weeks from week 14 through 17. Andrews was the tight end two, two, one, three, four, top five every single time. He produced 105.5 points in that time frame. And I lied. It's week 14 through 18. But tight end two for that time frame was Travis Kelsey with 60 points. That is it. If this does not scream an outlier five weeks and that there must be something different about those five weeks, I don't know what more I can do. That was a per game bump of almost 10 points per game. He produced 179 points in 13 weeks and then 105 in five weeks that there's something there. There's something that I just can't quite put my finger on it, but there's something there. He literally ranked number one across almost every opportunity and productivity category among tight ends, including 154 targets. Let me be the people for a second, Connor. But Connor, be the people. But they be. let go of Hollywood Brown. Isn't that yeah. significant enough for him to stay in the top five and top two? Uh, I would. I, I would argue yes, if it wasn't for the fact that he also ranked number one in deep targets among tight ends. He had twenty deep targets as a tight end. That was number one. What workload is coming from Hollywood Brown? The deep workload. The deep part of the field. I just don't realistically see any way that he can repeat this. 105 points in five weeks. That's absurd. The next closest tight end, an elite tight end, a future Hall of Fame tight end, Travis Kelsey produced 60 in that time frame. Can you tell me what the tight end 12 on the year ended up producing for the full season? The tight end 12 produced... 159 points. That name, Noah Fant. 55 more points on an entire season than Andrews put up in an entire five weeks. The tight end 12. Yep. That's a that's a monster of that's a monster stretch right there. That's a that's a season-winning ingrained in the brain stretch. And now with Marquise Hollywood Brown gone, the hype. Is rolling out of control without with a Hollywood um, with Mark Andrews, a little tongue tied there for a minute. And Ooh. what about what about like have we forgot the abysmal backfield that they fielded week in and week out the Devonta Freeman show that they rolled out week in and week out and forgot that J.K. Dobbins is on the way back? Did we forget that Gus Edwards is on the way back? Did we forget that Lamar Jackson? Is on Did his way back to the field. That Mike Davis is there. Oh shit! <laughs> I just can't tight end two pick two oh four. I just I feel like this was the ceiling. This was more than the ceiling. This is he blasted through the ceiling. He went into outer space. Look at the two years prior where he averaged, I believe it was like thirteen points per game. That should be your expectation. That Do you know this, who the real winner is like are? 18. What was it? What did he average? Let me look that up right quick. 17.7 average when he was averaging about 13 points per game up until this season. He was averaging about 13 points per game up until Huntley came into the picture. I just can't. I can't buy at that price. That's a ridiculously premium price and output that I just can't put my finger on what happened in those five weeks. I just can't. The real winners are established league owners that can sell them to the bums. That's the real winners. Go and get Kelsey plus. Go and get Kittle plus. Go and get Um, whatever. I want you to talk about this next man because I'm not really sure about him. He did get paid, though, and I want you to tell the people exactly about this guy. He's going late. Late enough, you could definitely take a shot at him. Absolutely. This is David Njoku going tight end 19, going at the 13-14 turn in uh, underdog. The man did get paid. 
Deshaun Watson hasn't produced any significant tight end, but I mean, if we look back, history would show that it is Darren Fells, Jordan Akins, Jordan Thomas. Is this the tight end that we're finally going to see fantasy relevance under Deshaun Watson? The Browns targeted the tight ends the third most by on a percentage of plays in the NFL last season, but this did come at the cost of the wide receiver position, which they targeted the second least only behind the Atlanta Falcons. But Hooper is out of the picture. Austin Hooper is gone. Harrison Bryant is behind him, but this man got paid. This dude got paid. He got his $50 million. He got his 20 something million guaranteed. Can he return to his 2018 form? Even though, even then, he did rank near the bottom of the top 10 in opportunity and production categories. He finished ninth in PPR points, which would be worth 143.9 points at that time. Last year, that would have only made him a tight end 16. Jim, do you think the departure of Austin Hooper, Jarvis Landry, OBJ out of the picture, and Deshaun Watson in, and hopefully, you know, Baker Mayfield out of the picture, do you think this is all creating enough that David Njoku can actually be a winner at where he's being drafted, that he can actually be a winner, like he could be that guy who gets to the 5 to 8 range as well? <sighs> I don't actually see him getting to the five to eight range. I see him being a winner in the fact that you're getting him as a tight end 19. You could possibly get a back end tight end 12 to 15. I mean, if that's what you're cool with, that's what you're cool with. Um, but not really. I heard reports of a lot of misdirection coming out of out of Cleveland where, you know, fake handoffs to Chubb, a fake screen to uh, Hunt on the same play, and then a dart over to Omari Cooper. Um, I've heard misdirections on slants to Amari Cooper, fake out uh, tosses to Chubb, and then going deep to Donovan Peoples-Jones. But the name I have not heard is David Njoku out of camp with any of these misdirection plays. And that is quite concerning to me. Because even though mm -hmm. he was not producing with the upper echelon of tight ends, Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Watson is an upper echelon quarterback that raises everybody else around him. So with that being said, he could have easily made Darren Fells, who held down, you know, a guy that I, that I liked, Gabriel Davis, um, down at, at UCF. So there's opportunities there. There's opportunities for, for his tight ends. Uh, and it wasn't like he was rolling with, with New Hopkins the entire time either. So... I'm a little bit concerned about David Njoku. I know he's an athletic freak. Uh, I love Neil Dutton and uh, all his tight end work that he usually rolls with, and I know he was big in Njoku coming out. But he's, to me, hit the Irv Smith point in his career. It's past him now for, for me. He had the opportunity, I thought, to, to go and run with it, and he didn't. I thought he could have beat out Austin Hooper. <clears throat> He didn't, so I don't know. I'm out. I'm out on him. Yeah, I mean, for me, we talk about contracts, but I think tight ends are a very different breed because tight ends can just be really good football players, but never come to fruition from a fantasy perspective. So we can look at the money. We can follow the money from a David Njoku perspective. He isn't actually a great blocker. So he's just going to be used as a receiving weapon. But, I mean, you'd, be, you'd have to have an expectation for a significant amount of targets, a significant amount of work. And like you said, Kareem Hunt's still in the picture. They gave Dearness Johnson money to be the third running back in that stable. Nick Chubb, Amari Cooper's there. Donovan Peoples-Jones is there. There's some other names to think about. And... Like David Njoku, like you said, he's had that opportunity to earn the job and clearly they respect him enough to give him the money and they want him to be a part of that offense. But how much do they really want him to be a part of that offense? How much do we not see that maybe they like about his run blocking, potentially his pass blocking, more than likely his run blocking? He's a great athlete. I love David Njoku when he came out. I was really excited. I was like, man, I, I, I like this guy. I tweeted about him, I remember, and it just nothing ever came out of it. Nothing's come out of it. Um, 
So I'm a little disappointed as well in Dave, for David Njoku. We always talk about follow the money, but I feel that's all more important in like running backs and wide receivers, tight ends. You see them taking tight ends late, taking those shots everywhere. Um, all the teams do it. So like you can pay a tight end and bring in cheaper backup options or other options. And David Njoku, for me, I'm I'm out. I mean, if you want to go and get him where where he's going, like maybe this is this is underdog. So this would be with more of a redraft flair to it. But I mean, there's a potential in Dynasty that that this new contract has bumped him up to almost a back end tight end one area that's just not feasible for me. I'd rather look elsewhere, wait, get past that 10 to 15 range and wait and see what's at what's below that, or get the premium on the good guys up top. And um, Njoku just has improved it for me. He's never gotten the significant workload for me to really buy into it. So to me, I'm out. I, I, I found the, the contract a little puzzling, especially when you look at like the contract, like Dallas Goddard's contract and them being so comparable and Dallas Goddard being way, I'd invest way more in Dallas Goddard than David Njoku, no matter even where they land on the ADP chart. But to me, yeah, I'm out. I'm out as well. But one name that uh, another second rounder or high-end draft pick that we're going to talk about and move into the winners category is Pat Fryermuth, a guy, the gym you love. Um, he had a great season last season. Uh, he came out. He ended up being the wider, the tight end 13 on the year. Average 9.5 points per game, but things really got better more towards the end of the season because from week 12 on, I mean, you had before that you had week eight and week nine where he was the tight end three, the tight end one. But then as the season continued to roll on week 14, you saw him become the tight end or week 12, you saw him be the tight end eight. He was a 17. Then he was a seven, 19, 16, 12, 10. He he was uh, he was hanging out close. He was flirting with that 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 uh, that low end tight end one range, and he was being trusted in the all important red zone. He was the number one targeted tight end in the red zone. What are your thoughts on Pat Fryermuth? Are you buying into him at his current cost of tight end eleven in round eleven? Um, absolutely, and that was actually something that I was going to point out was that he was the most heavily targeted tight end in the red zone uh he put up numbers like dawson knox when it came inside the 10 i think he was actually same same touchdowns let me just bring that up real quick i think he had the same amount of touchdowns as docks inside the 10 sure did uh more touchdowns than deontay johnson that was another thing uh inside the 10 so that's something like he can hang it wasn't like it was Deontay Johnson eating it, eating it all. Uh, they were hanging together pretty pretty confidently. Just another target. Uh, there's always the conception that that uh, in the in the red zone that these these guys are big. These guys are bigger targets, so they just throw them up. Sorry, up to them. I was calling him as a rookie tight end. That what he reminded me of a lot was Heath Miller. And uh, near the end of the season, that's exactly what I kind of saw in him he was a good reliable tight end more importantly too though connor is yeah okay he was a red zone weapon and uh, sorry i want to i want to go on that but the other thing that he was consistently trusted with with ben roethlisberger a hall of fame quarterback doesn't matter what you think about the guy super bowl winning hall of fame quarterback with a noodle arm last year whatever but the mind was still sharp he trusted pat Fryermuth, a rookie tight end on third down situations a fucking hell of a lot a hell of a lot. They needed to move those chains, and he was looking at Pat's direction, and Pat didn't let him down. That trust is what uh, I really saw and that what I really like. If a veteran quarterback is throwing his trust in that rookie tight end, guess what? He's going to get more opportunities on the field, which is exactly what happened throughout the season and, and as he grew as a player, and you saw exactly what he was capable of here near that near that end of the season and I don't see why it can't continue um as one of our good friends BZ was saying on a, on a last podcast with sons there um 
one of these one of these wide receivers is probably gone next year, right? Like Deontay's probably going to be either get paid or gone, and, and or Claypool is going to be traded. Like one of these guys is, is on their way out, so there's even going to be even more opportunity for Pat Fryermuth. And he's hanging with some big boys, man. Like he's getting the opportunity and in, in the market share too in the red zone. Like he's getting a nice, healthy twenty percent um, inside the ten. Uh, still twenty one percent inside the red zone. Regardless, it's good. It's a good target share for him, man. I don't. I don't see what else you you wouldn't want from Pat Fryermuth. Is actually it's kind of funny to say he's actually what I wanted Irv Smith to be, without the injuries. Is is what he was what he gave for people. Um, and yeah, and I find player. he's working a part of the field where Pittsburgh doesn't really have anybody to challenge him. It's basically him and Najee Harris working that, you know, that goal line to maybe 10 yards out, five, 10 yards out. That That's mostly that. Like maybe you could argue that Calvin Austin was brought in to kind of take on that role. But I mean, at the end of the day. Deontay Johnson wins outside. He can win in the slot. He wins with his route running. He's a great route runner. You don't need him in the slot to show his true capabilities. Chase Claypool and George Pickens, on the other hand, I think are more needed on the outside. I think that's where they're going to find their best success. It's where Chase Claypool found his best success in the past. They're just not really slot guys that you lean on. So he's taking over a part of the field where he doesn't necessarily have stiff competition. I do want to also point out, Touchdown rate. You did talk about touchdowns and how him and Dawson Knox were very similar. Dawson Knox had an 18.4% touchdown rate. So that is total touchdowns per touch. Pat Frymuth had an 11%. 11% still high, but easily achievable, not to the point that it's unrealistic that you should expect a major regression. Pat Frymuth is a guy that I think 11% or, you know, the 7 to 11% range for a tight touchdown rate is realistic. 18% from Dawson Knox, that's an unrealistic expectation because that means 18% of his touches of the ball were a touchdown. Like you're looking at a very significant number that has to work in the touchdown favor to produce those fantasy points, whereas Pat Frymuth could produce elsewhere. And I think even if you see a bit of regression, I don't think you're necessarily going to see that much regression, not compared to a guy like Dawson Knox, who also has stiffer competition coming in the door with OJ Howard and stuff. You have to wonder what that means for a guy like Dawson Knox, but we can talk a little bit more about him a little more down the road. Another winner, you just you called him a winner. I didn't realize where he was going because now I kind of think he might be a winner. This is Cole Komet, tight end for the Chicago Bears, tight end 17, going at the 13-02. Why don't you talk a little bit about him, Jim? I mean, I think it's simple. There's no competition. This, There's this absolutely is no him and Darnell Mooney, right? As much as I hate on the Chicago Bears, and I love Justin Fields is coming out. Everybody that, that knows me likes like the talent coming out. I don't like that this regime is trying to set it up, Justin Fields. But the fact remains, there is absolutely zero competition for Cole Komet, even though you know we used to joke around that there's 18 tight ends on that team. They got rid of Allen Robinson. Plain and simple fact is we always wait for the three-year window. What is he? Year three now coming out. He's shown that he has the talent to belong in the NFL on flashes and glimpses. Hopefully he can, he can string it together, but at tight end 17, what, what's the risk? Like there's absolutely no risk. This is, this is the exact type of guy that me and you advocate for. And it's either grab one of the top three guys or wait for a guy like this, wait for your Irv Smith's, wait for your Cole Komet's, wait for your, your Dalton Schultz's last year. Um, He's he's in a very similar situation of guys that we've been touting last, the previous years and guys that we we're touting previously on this show. So if you miss out on the Irv Smith in, in your draft or or you know you're in an established league and the guy that has him he doesn't want to trade him, you can always pivot to to Cole Komet. This is why he's a winner to me. Like you gotta have other options on your board if you're gonna you're going to go for boomer bust in the tight end position you're not going to swing on those tight on those big three then you have to have other options because guess what you're not the only guy there's nine other guys at least in your league that are going to now punt 
for tight end. You got. Yeah, and then I I agree. Um, what I don't like about Cole Komet is a guy had nearly a hundred targets last season. He had ninety three targets, and all he could do was be the tight end twenty one in fantasy points per game. It's putrid. That offense has to take step forwards, and like you said, they didn't set this. They didn't set this. Justin Fields or this offense up for success. I mean, the reports coming at a camper, you know, the P players are looking to Justin Fields more where there's last off season. They were all confused. They didn't know what was going on. So there's faith in Justin Fields, but you can have faith in Justin Fields all you want. You can look to him to direct you before a play all you want, but that doesn't necessarily mean once there's a defense on the other side that this situation is going to work in the favor of a player for fantasy purposes. And that's my thing with Cole Komet is you have a guy who had 93 targets, 60 receptions, 612 receiving yards. But why hurts is he had no touchdowns. He had zero touchdowns. The yards per reception were just not that great either. Like there's just the, the, the offense has to take a step forward. And I don't think they've done anything to allow that offense to take the step forward. To me, it's almost like he'd be more of a, he's a super good value for you. You can probably get him as your tight end two. You can probably get him maybe even as your tight end three. You can take that shot. You can chuck one of those really, you know, like a mid-ish late round pick and be like, how about this? Can I get, uh, you know, want to do a third for Cole Komet or whatever, you know, some type of deal like that. And you could land this guy and you could wait and see what happens with him. But it's tough to invest in the circumstance. Okay, let me ask you this. So there's is there hype, yes or no, on Darnell Mooney? Not really, unless we're seeing different reports. I don't see that much hype for uh, the for the clear-cut wide receiver one in an offense. There's not that much hype. I don't know, man. I in leagues that I'm that I'm in, I'm getting like I get offers for them. So if guys are like sniffing for Darnell Mooney, why not Cole Komet? That's what this wide receiver sense. thirty. That's where he's and going to underdog right now. Underdog. So I mean, like you obviously there's a bit more of a lean towards obviously the redraft, but like six oh three wide receiver thirty. Like Jesus. That's not right. much hype. Never the mind. owners, the I, owners. I know what leagues I'm in. Like people, people have been asking me for him. And it's because of the I, value. Look at that value. People are like, "Well, he's going to be the clear cut one there. I should probably try throw some offers out and see if I can get this opportunity." It's like Brandon Cooks. Darnell Mooney reminds oh, me of Brandon Cooks Brandon at Cooks. this point. I know you love Brandon Cooks. We were talking before he came on, <laughs> but like that's the sim. It's a similar situation. Putrid offense, but a clear cut guy who's gonna get what 100, 120, maybe even up to one hundred and fifty targets on the season. Like it's clear cut. It's cut and dry, but nobody wants to pay the high investment because the offense is just putrid. So nobody wants to sit there and say, I'll give you a first for that guy because they don't know what the offense is going to look like. They don't know what the future of that offense looks like. So there's obviously that, that, that you know, it's on your shoulder. You're thinking about it. It's that, that bird, that annoying bird on your shoulder, taught, like whispering, but what about, but what about? You just don't know what's going to happen with the offenses. But to me, Cole Komet, like if he's getting 93 targets, he's probably getting similar again because they brought in a, like a punt returner. Velas Jones is a punt returner special. He's a return specialist as yeah. your wide receiver too. Fucked if you think Velas Jones is taking targets away. But come on. On. he's not he's not he's not that's my <laughs> point he's not he's not he shouldn't be if you're sitting there and saying but what about Velas jones my, my man my man you got to reevaluate how you're looking at the fantasy landscape because darnell mooney and cole Komet are both going for over 100 yards barring injury or 100 targets barring injuries easy All 100 right. targets for both well let's talk about a, a, a true winner then a guy that's going even later than cole Komet. so he's definitely Got that about him. If you're putting on this, and if you're putting on tight end, after looking at what you put up here on the show sheet, he's probably the best option out of anybody that we've been talking about today for value-wise. Uh, I'll let you run away with it, man, because I actually totally forgot about him and even where he ended up signing. 
<laughs> yeah, you you would forget about this. Tight end 28, 17.1, uh, 17.10 in uh, under underdog. Austin Hooper. Is there a potential to return to 2018, 2019 Falcon Hooper form in 2022 with the Titans? If you did were not aware, he is a Tennessee Titan now. In Cleveland last season, he ranked nowhere near the top 15 in any type of opportunity categories, mostly hung around the 25th. 25th area in Tennessee. He enters a receiving room that has lost Ferkser, AJ Brown, Julio Jones, Josh Reynolds, Chester Rogers, and Jeremy McNichols. Obviously you may be like, oh, those aren't great names. Not all of those names are all important, but they do add up to over 225 vacated targets. It makes up for a ton of work that was basically replaced by Robert Woods, Austin Hooper, and Traylon Burks. That is pretty much all that they replace his lost vacated targets with is these names. Opportunity, opportunity, and cost of acquisition is dirt cheap for Austin Hooper. His greatest competition at the tight end position is Jeff Swaim, and obviously he's competing with Traylon Burks and Robert Woods, but there's enough targets to go around even in a low uh, passing offense like this. There's targets available, and Austin Hooper, they paid a decent amount of money for him. If I remember correctly, it was like $6 million or something. Like that's a, like that's a, you're going to be a part of our offense type of one year investment. We want to see what you've got. We know we just gave away a bunch. We, we let walk a ton of our key weapons last season. So you're going to be a part of this offense. So what are your thoughts, Jim? I know that now you have been enlightened to know that he is a Tennessee Titan and all the vacated I know targets. he's a Titan, like, after you put it on the show sheet because I forgot <laughs> about him. Um, but, okay, out of the 225 vacated targets, you got to assume that Traylon Burks is going to step into the entire A.J. Brown vacated target pie. Um, the elephant in the room, and it's a big elephant, brother, is Derrick Henry. That is the Derrick Henry show. Uh, while I do like um, Ryan Tannehill for Austin Hooper, uh, he is more like the 2018, 2019 Matty Ryan where he can maybe find some work in the red zone. But let me ask you this. Are you throwing the ball or are you handing the ball off to Derrick Henry when you're inside the five? That's that's the risk. You know from past experience that that end zone work is likely not in Austin Hooper's favor. So I mean, we did talk about I did we did talk about commit. We did talk about the prospect of tight end touchdown work. It sucks to think about. It really does because you know that you're losing that work easily to Derrick Henry as long as Derrick Henry can chug that ball in. It's yeah. he's just not going to see it. He's not going to get the opportunity you would like to see. That hurts. That does suck. And I will admit that even though I am vacant, even though I am a vouching for Austin Hooper. It's I like him. Don't get me wrong. I like him. I think the value is amazing, but I just, I want to bring that up. Like it's, he did. He me, did. He was, offense. he was the tight end eight and the tight end three. I in points per game with four and six receiving touchdowns. So, I mean, if there's a world where he can get back to those numbers that he was, you know, 70 receptions, 650 to 800 yards. If there's a world where he can get back to that, the touchdowns don't necessarily matter as much, but you need to get like that tight end eight year with 660 yards, that tight end three year, had the six touchdowns instead of the four, and it also had 787 yards. So oh, there you need, is listen, you need like way. 900 yards coming out of him and like five touchdowns for him to be, I think, really relevant. Which is fair. I can, but, I can see that. Like I said, I like him. I just don't think, I don't think he'll get there, but. And not because of the lack of the targets. I just, I think it's more, I think this is, I think you're going to see a fucking big Derrick Henry here, man. Like I was saying before the show, you're, I'm watching startups, this, this motherfucker going like the fourth, fourth round. 
and it's blowing my mind. I'm like, how are you letting him go? Oh, he's a 28-year-old, same age as Zeke. Uh, he sat for three years, dude. He was the fucking RB14 in standard leagues last year, missing the games he missed. That is the end of season fucking finish. He was the RB20 in PPR. Missing the games. Missing the games, man. Like, are you kidding me? Missing the games, he was still your RB2. Think about that. Think about that, man. That I is agree. fucking unbelievable. I am looking back at 2020 because I just was curious on the red zone stats. In 2020, because last year you kind of got to wash that away because I was, didn't know Derrick Henry in the picture. A.J. Brown, 12 targets. Corey Davis, eight targets. Adam Humphrey, six targets. Like, that's a lot of targets, despite Derrick Henry taking 64 Russian attempts. Like, that absurd number of 64 Russian attempts. He does only take one target. And then if you go to the rollover to the tight end position that year, John New Smith, 18 targets. Anthony Ferks are seven. There's a world where there's end zone targets there. They just got to score at a rate that is respectable. Because that's all these... That's what people bought into with Jonu Smith. That was the year he had eight touchdowns. He had 18 targets in the red zone. He had eight touchdowns. That was the year that everyone bought into Jonu Smith, that everyone was like, wow, this is a guy like, and well, obviously we know how that story ends. But that's the thing is like, there's definitely, it's a pass-friendly league. There is a world where this is, where there's opportunities, where 10 to 15 targets in the red zone equate into three, four, five touchdowns is Definitely in the realm of possibilities for Austin Hooper with Derrick Henry in the picture. But the offense has to score at a good rate. This is my thoughts. But next up. <clears throat> Sorry about that. I got one more winner for you. Robert Tanyan. He's going as a tight end 14, 12-0-1 in underdog. Um, Tanya will be one of Rogers most senior pass catchers next season as shocking as that may be. Although he tore his ACL last season and underwhelmed overall, he got hurt week eight and the first two weeks only played less than 50% of snaps. The other four weeks, he actually saw 60% plus he should see that same workload in 2022. No rookie tight ends were brought into the room. It's just Mercedes Lewis again, who obviously was not much of a threat whatsoever. The room is Tanyan and Lewis with Adams and MVS gone. Tanyan last season saw the suspected touchdown decline going from 21% to 11%, but he was seeing almost an extra half a deep target per game. As we know, MVS vacates a lot of deep targets, so maybe Tanyan could be used differently than some tight ends. He ranked 10th in tight end deep targets despite missing eight games. 10th. MVS averaged two deep targets a game. He could also, he was also on target for 13 red zone targets. Fifth on the team, but the red zone target leader at 29 is out the door. So there are tons of targets in the red zone to be eaten up again for Robert Tanyan. Do you think, do you think Tanyan can take on a role of being a deeper target as since his ADOT has climbed nearly two year, two yards per target in the last two seasons, plus gain back some of that all important end zone work. He was on par for more red zone targets in 2021 than 2020 when he led the tight end, when he led tight ends with 11 touchdowns. I find that I found that a very interesting stat about Robert Tanyan was the prospect that his red zone targets were going to be better in 2021 if he remained healthy and remained on the field. But unfortunately, he got injured. And the year before, obviously, the touchdown rate did decline. But I think 11% is an easily achievable and continued to be attainable rate, touchdown rate for next season. What are your thoughts on Tanyan? Um, yeah, actually, I, I like Tanyan. Um I'm not as hyped up on Christian Watson as everybody else seems to be. I do think the other sneaky uh, winner in this uh, exiting of Devontae Adams is actually uh, Aaron Jones, as everybody is willing to throw him aside now that it's short season with A.J. Dillon, a.k.a. Quadzilla. But there's massive actually targets there, like you said. But those two guys don't work in the same area, which is beautiful. Um, as you were saying, Tanyan's ADOT it was, cry was uh, <coughs> climbing. And his target share is 
sorry, not as target shares. Touchdowns uh, percentage is definitely um, sustainable. So these are all sorry. These are all things that I definitely like. He's tied to a guy that I still like for real life fan or real life football. He's a smart guy. Aaron Rodgers. I don't know why everybody is is so quick to be pushing him down their their dynasty rankings too. The dude could sling it. Uh, he's made he makes people better. Um, so I don't I don't know what the, what the big deal is here. I remember mm-hmm. the first two years of Devontae Adams' career, he was labeled a bust. So all of a sudden now, what Aaron Rodgers needs Devontae Adams to to keep this thing going? I I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Somebody's going to be somebody's going to be the beneficiary of these vacated targets, and uh, as we all know, or at least all know on the screen right now, that targets aren't just allocated to one position or one uh, slotted straight in. It's usually divided up between two or three different people. So while Tanyan was on the rise to see his market share climb and his red zone numbers climb and be more efficient. There's even more opportunity now there for him. So what he was already um, earning by being a good player is now opened up even even further. So while he's not gonna, like I said, swallow the entire Devontae Adams pie, and nobody expects him to, he should take a nice significant chunk out of it. Mm-hmm. And Edwin Porras actually posted some. If you go on fantasy points, shameless plug for Edwin there. Um, if you go on his page, he talks about potential return dates for players and so on and so forth. Edward, uh, Tanyan did tear his ACL late in the season, as you know, week eight, but it looks like he'll be good to go for week one. Presumably nine months would put him close to week one, which is the general timeline. So hopefully Woo! he'll be ready just a bit before he'll get some practice time in. He'll get some of those looks from uh, Aaron Rodgers and he'll get to work. But I'm the same as you. Christian Watson is just not, he's not going to come into this and just inhale a hundred and whatever Devontae Adams and Marcus Valdez Scanlon vacate. He's not just going to inhale 150 targets. I'm sorry. That just isn't going to happen. It's just not realistic. Closer to a hundred targets is realistic. And Robert Tanyan, when you look at last season, he was actually trending fairly well for targets. Like and he didn't need many targets a year before to be relevant. But the issue to me that year was that 21% touchdown rate was completely unsustainable. And it clearly wasn't. But last season, 28 games played, he had 29 targets, which was 3.6 per game. And he made 2.3 receptions per game. He ca- he has very reliable hands. He's a great ball catcher. That, that big year where he had the 11 touchdowns, where he was the tight end six in points per game. He had 59 targets, 52 receptions. He's a really good catcher. And if his average depth of target is increasing, if he gets that touchdown clip back a bit, it doesn't even have to be to the full 21%. Say he sees an 11, a 12 to 15 range, and he gets back up to 60 to 75 targets, he can easily be that guy who gets back to the five through eight range again. There's nothing ruling out that possibility with Robert Tanyan. And just like Austin Hooper, Robert Tanyan's fairly cheap when we talk about some of the other names that we were talking about earlier. Like Robert Tanyan can come pretty cheap. There's a lot of people who may be worried about the injury, who may be backing off. So why not? Why not be in a bit on Robert Tanyan, especially since he's such a senior pass catcher? And we know Aaron Jones or uh, Aaron Rodgers has you know, some trust issues sometimes with the younger receivers. So you bring Cheers. in Robert Tanya, and that's someone Fuck you can have, you can trust. You can have faith in, despite that he has to have some faith in Christian Watson. Like you said, Tanya and Aaron Jones, I think will be major beneficiaries, more than people may want to admit, as everyone's hyping Christian Watson. But with that said, before we move onward and upward, a quick word from our sponsors at Viridian Global. Here at the Gold Jacket Podcast, we take family very seriously. We know that family doesn't always stop at the bloodline. It's a word that ensures trust. It's a word that, well, around here, means that I know that I can count on you to have my back. Viridian Global is family. A family of the Fantasy Collective. And that is the exact reason Viridian Global will have your back. And I don't just mean literally covering your back 
in the best apparel they can possibly outfit you in. I mean at every step of the way, from finding the brand that fits you best to tracking your order to making sure you are fully satisfied at every step. With over 50 brands a part of the Fantasy Football Collective family, what are you waiting for? Join the family now. VeridianGlobal.com All right. We will briefly touch on the losers because we really don't want to talk about the losers all that much. Tyler Higby. I mean, at this point, is there anybody that really cares about Tyler Higby? It's very simple for me on on why he's a loser. Um, One, I think he's going to end up being drafted a little higher when the season ends up rolling, uh, coming closer as he's tight end 20 at the 1403, as you have put on the show sheet there. Every year, though, I feel like there's some like build up for Tyler Higby. This is going to be Higby. Now he's got Stafford. Now he's got. Woods out of the way. Target share should be there, but at tight end 20, like well, Alan Robinson's have... in the picture now too. So I understand that you got the, the wide receiver one, according to some people in Cooper cup. Um, But no, just for me, it's not there for, for tight end 20. Wise loser for me is one. I think is ADP is going to be climbing up a little bit higher, but I'd rather take my shots on, on the Irv Smith's on the Robert Tanyan's. Uh, before trying trying to attach my my slice of a a higher octane fantasy pie, bigger fantasy pie, which is some people's perspective. They see the higher scoring offense, uh, smaller piece of a bigger pie. You know, is is sometimes better for those types of people, but but not for me. At that at his ADP, I'd rather be taking a shot on. Uh, like I said. Tanya and Irv Smith, uh, Cole Komet, David and Joku, like all the guys we've mentioned today. So that's why even Austin Hooper, who now I'm aware is a Titan, um, I'd rather take shots at over over any of these guys. And and really, it's going to be the same with the next pair that we're going to be talking about too. Yeah, because uh, I put Donald Parham and Trey McKitty there because there was once a time where the Donald Parham hype train was rolling. It was going to be uncontrollable. Get Jared Cook out of the way and this guy's going to feast well uh gerald everett kind of came and stood in the way this time so i think that that hype train is dead that hype train is gone i didn't even put their uh adps on here i know trey mckitty's is like not even drafted and donald parm's likely undrafted at this point you could stash him if you want to stash him but at this point i don't think there's any more to talk about there gerald everett could be sneaky though well i i didn't add him into this picture but I'm, I'm a fan of Gerald Everett where you can get him and the potential in that high pass and offense. Um, yeah, Keenan Allen's there. Yeah, Mike Williams is there. Whatever it is, what it is if you want. But but there's still work to be had. Jared Cook showed there's still work to be had for a tight end in that offense. So Gerald Everett intrigues me a bit. Alberto, the, the hype train was rolling. Shot. The hype train was rolling on that one. Uh, tight end 15, 1209. Right now, um, an underdog. I personally prefer Greg Dulcich. I went and picked up Alberto for free because in a lot of leagues, or I dropped a few, a couple bucks in my fab because why not? Maybe the uncontrollable hype trains there that someone's going to come and take Alberto off my hands or want Alberto. Greg Dulcich is a weapon. He is a receiving weapon. Like he's he's really he's a he's an athletic guy. He's like a big slot receiver. I think he's going to eat more into Alberto than people think. And obviously, there's not much there at the tight end position because you're talking about Tim Patrick. You're talking about Jerry Judy. Tim Patrick, which Russell Wilson really likes. You're talking about Jerry Judy. You're talking about Corlin Sun. You're talking about Melvin Gordon. You're talking about Javante Williams. You're talking about all these names. And then the little bit of pie that's left for Albert Owen, Greg Dulcich. Dulcich is a weapon. Dulcich is not someone who's going to be out there blocking. Albert Owen maybe strikes me more as a guy who might be out there blocking a little bit more. But there's reason to worry that if you invested too significantly in Albert Owen, your investment is going to be a very poor one. You fucked up, son. <laughs> That's why if you have a tight end and you have a chance to sell him for a premium, unless it's one of those sure thing top five guys, you know, names like Pitts, Kelsey, Kittle, Waller, Andrews come to mind. Yeah, 
I would probably not. I would probably just try and deal them and get your profits where you can. Speaking of tight ends that you should have been selling like Albert O, but you had a lot of time to do it. This guy is the loser for us. That's Dawson Knox. You heard Connor already allude to him on his unsustainable touchdown rate when I was bringing up Pat Fryermuth. Um, Some might actually see it as a win without the Cole Beasley and Emmanuel Sanders now out of the way. I see that as a win for my guy, Gabriel UCF Davis. Uh, he is the real winner for me in this in this aspect. Uh, like Connor was alluding to, his touchdown rate is just too unsustainable. He's going as a tight end uh, nine at the nine oh three on underdog. Just way too too rich. Not enough juice in that squeeze left for me. Uh, you had ample opportunity to be trading him for an absolute premium price last year. You could have flipped him easily for some first round picks, no doubt about it. And then as J.J. Zacharyson has already pointed out on his late-round quarterback podcast many years before. You can stream that tight end position with no problem week to week and get yourself a top-12 tight end. There's no actual need if you can play the game right. Absolutely. I mean, I completely agree. I kind of I spit out some of the facts a little prematurely earlier in the episode. But, I mean, at the end of the day, 18% of his touches went for a touchdown. That is like one in five targets or one, not even targets, one in five of his receptions were end zone bound. Like that just makes no sense to me. Like that is completely unsustainable. That's, and the volume's not there. Say you take it away. Say he does recede back to say 10 or 11% where we see a lot of these guys go after they've had their big boom season and they return to that like 10 or 11 range. His work is not feasible. He needs the touchdowns for his work to be feasible, and they're just not. So it's rather unfortunate for for Dawson Knox owners if you held on. That O.J. Howard signing must sting because that would sting for me. You, The fact that they brought in O.J. Howard tells you all you need to know that this is a pass-heavy offense, but the fact that they're open to having two tight ends in that mix with the wide receivers that are there, that just isn't good for Dawson Knox. Really not good for Dawson Knox. Jim, are you ready to crown a winner? I'm ready, Connor. Let's give away a Scott Fishbowl 12 entry. One do of you, these two do you lucky have this, people. Do you have the stories up? Or do you um, have, do you, or do you want to kind of give the viewers no, like a, okay. an idea? You give, of... you, give uh, you give Tony's story and uh, I'll give Connor's. Just uh Give me a second to pull it up. Yeah, you go ahead and uh, we'll do the same. We're going to spin this wheel. I'm going to this. They're great stories. So basically what we asked people to do was rate the podcast, review the podcast. And in your review, you tell us what you were are most proud of in regards to your involvement within your community. And of all the ones that we got, we ended up deciding on these two and we wanted to read the stories that these two had, or at least kind of give uh, an idea of the stories that they gave. Um, do you want to start, Jim? Do you got your story pulled up there? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So the rating was this. Um, love it. It was a five-star review. Love the show, guys. You're full of knowledge. Definitely entertaining. Couldn't have won the championship last year without us which is something we definitely like to hear. Encouragement to help others and positivity on the community. It's amazing. I've taken on a leadership role in my local community, and he coaches the initiation hockey program for young kids in the winter. He thinks it's great to help out and be active in a positive way. With help from family and friends, we sponsor a kennel at the Humane Society that gives a pup a bed, food, etc. for an entire year. Look forward to continue this for many years and many more help from many more family and friends. We organize and host a toy toy drive every year during the holidays, which I am proud to be a part of with this gentleman. Um, well, I don't organize or do anything, but we def I definitely uh, give to him because it because I love it. And uh, lastly, a few times a year, he likes to buy some lunch for some children to another organization that I hold here and dear. That is Food for Kids Niagara, which I have touted on the show many times before, and he just uh, donated today. Actually, when he wrote the review. Showed me the screenshot, and he goes, because he doesn't want any children to grow up going hungry, and every little bit helps. So just keep up the good work, guys. 
and that's from Colin. And that really touched me. Like I said, a couple organizations that I hold near and dear to my heart. And uh, what about Anton? Anton, if you didn't want your story read, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I will preface this early on. But uh, he left a rating but could not leave a review because he was using an application that did not allow him to leave the review, but he sent me the review instead. He says, I try my best to be a positive influence and role model for my children and other children in my community so that they don't have to go through the things I did as a child slash young adult. I began using opiates at the age of 10 years old. I ran the streets and committed crimes to support my addiction at the age of 23. He, I served 38 months in prison. During this time, I got clean and sober. I was the chairman of the NA program, helping other inmates deal with the struggles that come, come along with it. In 2010, I released from prison. A former high school administrator ran into me at my place of work, and we discussed ways I could impact others in a positive fashion. Along with his help, I began going to area schools and speaking with at-risk and troubled youth about my experience as an addict and some someone that had been in trouble with the law. This year will be the 11th year that I continue to speak with high school children about, about addiction and the daily problems young people face. In that time, I've met countless young people that just need someone to believe in them, someone that can relate to what they're feeling. I have been clean for 15 years now, and I always end my speech by telling them they have just as much impact on me staying clean as I do on them. One other accomplishment that I am proud of is Vermont's passing of a of a quote ban the box law which prohibits businesses from asking about criminal convictions on the initial application process i was the only convicted felon to be asked to testify before the state house of representatives i told them about my experiences with problems finding employment when i was released from prison and voiced my concern for others trying to find work after being released from prison the bill passed and Vermont became only the seventh state with such a law. As I write this, I've been clean and sober for 15 years now. I was released three years early from a 15-year sentence for good behavior. I have a great career and I'm so thankful just to be alive. Absolutely wonderful story. We love it. Hopefully Scott Fish checks this episode out. And no matter how this wheel spins for you two, maybe you each get a spot in the Scott Fish Bowl. I hope. But both really incredible, very different stories, but awesome positive impacts on their communities. Absolutely. And of course, make sure you sign up for the Scott Fish Bowl. Make sure you donate to all the great causes. All Scott Fish really asks you to do is donate. He doesn't make you pay to get in. He just wants you to donate to causes. Be active in your community. Be positive in your community. So do that for Scott Fish. And we are going to spin this wheel and see who gets this one. Good yeah, luck, good fellas. Luck. Good luck is right. Looks like Anton's getting in. Looks like it is Anton getting in. Like we said, hopefully Scott Fish hears the two amazing stories and what you guys do for your communities. And hopefully, call and hopefully you get the call from Scott Fish or the email. I guess it's not call. It's an email from Scott Fish. It's definitely an email, Connor. <laughs> it is definitely an email because that would be a lot of uh, phone calls for Scott Fish to make. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you, Anthony, uh, for coming in. He actually said thanks either way, guys. Good luck calling. So shout out Anthony for coming on and you're getting that Scott Fish invite and hopefully Colin will get one too. Thank you for everything you guys do for your guys' communities. Um, but otherwise, that is it. That is all. That is our winners. That is our losers at the tight end position. And we are done the post-draft landscape. We have an awesome guest coming on next week. I kind of alluded to him earlier in the episode. Edwin Porras making his biannual appearance or biannual if that's the word for it. he shows up two times a year for us. <laughs> he shows us he shows up for us in the off season and he shows up um at, and he shows up at uh, some point in season anthony don't worry about calling scott fish will help him out i bet i bet don't you worry about calling but thanks everybody for listening and supporting make sure you rate review like or subscribe wherever you listen or watch um Shout out to all the sponsors, as always, Viridian Global, um, Trophy Smack, Underdog Fantasy, 
Check out the True North Fantasy Football crew. They're right above Jim's head. TrueNorthFFB.com at TrueNorthFFB on Twitter. The TNFF Network on YouTube where you may be watching us right now. Follow Jim at GoldJacketQBs. He's actually going to be on a couple podcasts coming up, so keep your eyes out. I'm sure he's going to be sharing that content. Sons of Dynasty, very good friends of the shows. He's going to be going on that show soon. Follow myself at Connor10, T-E-N. That's not the number 10. Um, and of course, we are going to see you all next Tuesday with Edwin Porras, and we're going to be talking about the injured, injured landscape, the injury tiers that he has that he's starting to build, and so much more. Probably why you're too low on a few certain specific players as well, Jim. We will see you next Tuesday. Yeah. This is a beginning point. This is the beginning of the rest of my life.